the 911 Calls Podcast with the operator and his senior assistant, Jack Luna. I shot him. I did. Okay. Oh, hi, Luna. Oh, hi. Hey, operator. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yourself? Not bad. I've been reflecting on some things. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about it? or? Yeah, here's one. Do you think that you have the guts <laughs> that it would take to become a bomber pilot? No. No, I wish I did. And maybe if I was young and dumb and whatever full of, you know, um, like 18 years old and everyone else around me is kind of lined up to do it. And there's a war and all that. Maybe nah, even then, I don't yeah. think I would have passed the tests of, of, uh, bravery. Yeah. You know, I don't know that I have it either because uh, we'll just for a moment, I'll paint a picture. Bomber sure. pilots are in these giant planes that say, Hey, yeah. <laughs> Guess what? I'm flying over your territory. <laughs> you know, they go really super high. Yeah. And you might hear them and never see them. But still, our technology of the day is such that they don't need human eyes to see these planes anymore. So a giant, giant thing in the sky, right? Yeah. It's not like, uh, you know, you're not a, a fighter pilot. It's like, highway to the <laughs> danger zone, you know, and everybody's high-fiving like the up, up high five and then down high five after you make a volleyball smash and <laughs> then Goose gets behind you and you're screaming at Mach 2, right. you know, evading everything that moves. No, a bomber pilot is like, <laughs> and everybody <laughs> you know? wants to take you down too because you're trouble. And it's not, I mean, in the grand scheme of defense, it's not difficult Right. To take down a bomber, you just fill the air full of shrapnel, you yeah. know, around it. Sorry, can I interrupt that? And that's where the, the where the term uh, taking flack. I'm taking a lot of flack here. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because you're just sitting in a big, giant. Back in the day, these things weren't even all made of metal. There was like fabric <laughs> on the <laughs> yeah. outside of your plane. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Bullets and shrapnel just pass right through the, the airplane and right through your torso. <laughs> Uh, no thanks. Okay, so riddle me this then. The, the military understands as a fact that a bomber pilot who's willing to risk flying these slow-flying giant planes over enemy territory against the risk of getting shot out of the sky, that those bomber pilots are insane Yeah. if they're willing to fly those combat missions without asking to be relieved of duty. Oh. They know you are insane if you don't ask to be relieved of duty. And because of that inherent insanity in somebody who is willing to fly these missions, Mm -hmm. the military, fully aware, allows for pilots to be eligible to be relieved of duty. Wow. That's interesting. But (laughs) asking to be relieved from duty indicates sanity. And thus, you must keep flying missions. Oh, God. That's what they want to hear. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Right? So based on this, how is a bomber pilot ever to be released from flying bombing missions? (laughs) It's a catch-22 right there. That's exactly what it's called. Do you know know where the phrase catch-22 comes from? I don't. The phrase catch-22 comes from a book titled Catch-22. I knew that, but I still don't understand what Catch-22... Okay, I guess I just explained it. Now, I'm going to read just a small segment of the book really quick. There was only one catch, and that was Catch-22, which specified that a concern for one's safety in the face of dangers that were real and immediate was the process of a rational mind, or, who's one of the pilots, was crazy and could be grounded. All he had to do was ask, and as soon as he did... He would no longer be crazy and would have to fly more missions or would be crazy to fly more missions and sane if he didn't. But if he was the sa- if he was sane, he had to fly them. If he flew them, he was crazy and, and didn't have to. But if he didn't want to, he was sane and had to. 
Yasarian, who's another person in the book, was moved very deeply by the absolute simplicity of this clause of catch-22 and let out a respectful whistle. That's some catch, that catch-22, he observed. <laughs> it's the best there is, Doc Danica agreed. So catch-22 literally comes from that book. I still don't understand why they call it catch-22. I think what it was is is it could have been it could have been called caveat 22 or right. it basically it was a listing of catches it was a uh, listing of of um caveats you know really or 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 things to consider in the contractual obligations of a military serviceman okay so it was number 22 of these catches okay gotcha gotcha interesting interesting huh? man i've never read that book yeah uh, me neither <laughs> <laughs> but I know a lot about it. <laughs> or at least I can sound like I do. Yeah. Uh, um, life is actually full of these catch-22s. Like, for example, you need to have experience to get a certain job, but you need a certain job to have experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, You can get a credit card if you have good credit, but you need a good credit card to get good credit. <laughs> crazy yeah so many things but but uh, so in short many of the things in our life are set up with rules so that you you lose no matter what or the rules have to be bent in order for you to not violate the rules for example okay in order to get experience in a job that you have no experience in somebody somewhere needs to give you a chance at that job without the requisite experience. This is literally a violation of the rules in most cases. Like, how do you gain the experience to make a nuclear bomb the right way if you've never built one before? <laughs> yeah. You know? Okay, another catch-22 that people often face is with domestic violence. This is super, super common. Often, in order for the police to justify action against someone for committing domestic violence, they must wait for something to happen. Right. And then the severity of the punishment is often in line with the severity of the violence that was meted out on the person that's getting beat up, right? Mm -hmm. Add to that that the additional catch-22 of many abused people experience this conundrum. They say something to the effect of, I love this person that is abusing me, but if I defend myself, the abuse gets worse. And if someone like the law steps in to try and resolve the abuse, unless the result is very much final, like prison for my abuser, this abuser that I love will probably abuse me worse mm -hmm. after the fact. And finally... If the abuse gets bad enough to where I feel like my life is being threatened, I have the choice to defend myself with deadly force in order for the dead person to not be me. Right. You think, I mean, just the fundamental thing there is that there's one overpowering feeling above all the things built into that catch-22, and it's the first part of that. I love this person. Right. Yeah. And that particular catch-22, the only way out of it is to recognize that they don't love you back. What they're displaying to you is not love. What they're listening from you is a feeling of love for them because of the control aspect and the maybe issues that you have in, in your past. They're, they're uh, not replacing, but they're, <clears throat> they're filling some kind of void in your life. And you think without them, you're going to be lost. Um, yeah, man, this, this is a conversation that I've had often with, with people in my life. And I think previously on, on this podcast too. It's, um, it's, it's like so many catch 22s. There always is a massive devil, mm -hmm. right? Sitting right in the middle, like a, like an elephant in the room with most catch 22. You think about like contrast that. So the person doesn't love you as much as you love them. They're using you. Right. Uh, and they're, you're filling some void that was built somehow in their life or in their character. And you contrast that with the military where they're like, yeah, if you're crazy enough to fly bombing missions and die on our, you know, on our behalf. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. The giant devil. 
sitting right in the room, you know? It's <laughs> yeah. so crazy. Here's, here's one. I don't think it quite fits, but it, I, it rang a bell with me. I wrote this down the other day. I heard it as a quote. Um, uh, so it's about being a good man. A harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a dangerous man who has himself under control. Oof. And it's not exactly what we're talking about, but it's something that rang that bell for me. I wanted to share that quote because you'd think to be a good man, it would be a person, a man or a woman who doesn't harm, cause any harm. And I've always known that. I've always known that that's more like uh, sitting on the sidelines and not even interacting with life. It's kind of cowardly, actually, in a way. And and this quote really brought it home for me. A good man is a dangerous man who has himself under control. I like that a lot. Yeah. I really like that. Me too. It doesn't dock entirely, but I... No, I, I think it does. It, it Actually, it reminds me that Joe Rogan had a guy named Jordan Peterson on his show. I think that's the quote time. from Jordan Peterson, actually. It's funny you yeah, say that. He says something similar. He says um, that we, we're teaching men that they should be docile, when in in reality, we should be teaching men that they should be monsters. Right. But they should have it under control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because that's, you know, if you look at the way we're wired, the way we're built, we're physically bigger. We, we have this lit chemical in our body called testosterone that does crazy things right. to a human. Uh, the right way to be would be understand and possess all the capabilities that makes you a man, but control it so that yes. you don't, you know, so that you, you, you can do the, do those things that, that maybe a man should do in his sphere, which is the things you're built for, right? <laughs> whatever those might be for you. Absolutely. A harmless man, he can seem like a good man, but when the shit hits the fan, he won't be able to protect his wife or his children right? Um, because he's harmless. But if if you, yeah, yeah, it's very, you know, it's self-explanatory. Yeah, well, and it's nuanced itself. too, because it's, you know, I was, I was more or less defining physical attributes, but a harmless man may also be one that doesn't have the intellectual capacity to be able to get his family out of harm's way, even verbally right so yeah yeah you're right it's somebody that somebody that can that that knows danger and and risk well enough but knows not to approach it right uh but when approached knows how to handle it it's it's almost like a skinny kid who wants to get become like a a big muscular guy he's gonna need to put the weight on first and then cut yeah right? right He's not going to become a big muscular guy without putting in in that in that work to get the weight on first. Anyways, I'm friggin. Oh, it's very true. It's very true. There's, I guess, the good the the best way to put it is there's a strategy. Yeah, there's a strategy in it, right? And you know, uh, you you uh, you disassembled my conundrum of the domestic abuse situation very deftly. In when I'm done reading that, I'm like, man, how do they get out of that? Right, and and it really is. It's a series of very simple, painful steps, right? It's it's realization, understanding who you're dealing with, that uh, their feelings are not the same. Absolutely. And therapy is so, so important. And good friends are very important in that particular Catch-22. You need people yes. around you to help you work through it and see see it very clearly. But often these, it's usually women, uh, are under the control of that person and have no outside sources able to penetrate them or or get to them at all because that control is so clamped down. Yes. And we've talked about um, kind of the perspective of addicts and abusers before. And, you know, when we are, when we love someone that's an addict uh, or an abuser, we oftentimes, as a reflex, maybe we say, Look at my life. You could have this, but you're stuck in this weird bind. Just stop and look at what I've got and and have what I have. And we we forget that in the in the mode, in the space that they're in, what we have and the life we're leading doesn't look interesting to them. It or either doesn't look interesting, doesn't look dramatic, doesn't look fun, or doesn't look possible. Right. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, and so uh, you said it very well that that having good friends, having having loving people around you who know how to manage that kind of a situation and not just kind of use the, well, just stop doing drugs kind of cudgel that a lot of people 
might use. You yeah. Know? And out of pain, out of love and expression for this person. They're just like, just stop. You're hurting everyone. <laughs> You're very so. correct, though, too, because even as a good friend, I've seen certain situations where you get them away from that person and then they're slowly connecting with that abuser again secretly. Now they need to keep it a secret because they don't want to let you down because you've right. helped them get away from it. And uh, when they are eventually drawn back in, it's like, you see, you go out there and they start screwing with your head. That's what the abuser does to them, right? And that now th that they've left and they come back in, they're actually in even deeper. The hole is right. even deeper. Um, well, and they've added new things, right? They've added guilt. They've added yeah. shame. Uh, they've added why didn't, why did I let myself do this? Why did, you know. And they've lost that friendship probably. They've probably, because they've. They've burned a bridge. You know. Unless it's a really capable person that knows how this goes. Like, right. like I am at age 46 coming to the realization, and it's a painful one, that, that when I see people that I love that are addicted, that the best thing for them may be some rehabilitative services. Right. But that. It's probably not for several rounds before those rehabilitative services have put that person through enough routines that their life doesn't doesn't need the the addictive things in their life anymore. And that's I think mm -hmm. the best way to put it because I think the misconception is that when we go to rehab, that rehab somehow fixes us. When in reality, what it, all it's doing is it's giving us separation from the exposure, and then it's also introducing us to some routines that help us to work through how to avoid opening enough of a gap in our, our day to day to allow this thing that's been killing us for so long back in, right? you know, and it takes multiple rounds sometimes. Well, and, and I think that's hard for abuse people that see an abusive, uh, an abusive relationship too. This is like you said, they'll, they'll secretly go back and yeah. it's another round, you know, and it takes, sometimes it takes several rounds before, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, many people never get out of it. If you're insecure and you kind of you, you're with a powerful, abusive person in the first place, you may never get get away from that person at all. You need like a year of free time, and often there's children involved and and things that you can't get away from, and it's really difficult, man. It's really yeah. difficult for a lot of people in in abusive relationships. It's a real catch twenty two. It's know? a catch twenty. Today we're going to actually be listening to the poster child. Uh, for the domestic abuse catch-22, I would say. All right. And I know we've been hovering heavily over the state of Ohio lately, <laughs> and I apologize for that. So this call takes place 57 miles southeast of Fort Wayne, Indiana, in St. Mary's, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Again. Dang it. <laughs> I was digging in to this this one and I'm like, oh, this is good. This, I mean, it's terrible. This is terrible. And then I was like, Ohio, but I had already done the work. So here we are. <laughs> All right. Oh All man. Right. So uh, this this call took place Saturday, February eighth, twenty twenty, at three thirty two a.m. The witching Gee hour. hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fun fact to know and share. It was called the witching hour. Uh, the time between 3 and 4 a.m. because the Catholic Church in Europe in the 1500s prohibited all activities during this hour due to emerging fears about witchcraft. Interesting. I went into this pretty heavy in an episode, but I can't recall all of it. I'll say this. I know around 3, even between 2 and 4, maybe 2.30 and 3.30, I guess, if you go out, like I'll go out back just to get a breath of fresh air, look at the moon or whatever, and uh, be weird, and just try to pick up what it is about that time that f creeps so many people and it creeps me out. And what it is is like the silence. Mm. It seems very quiet around that time because for the most part, people aren't working and all that. But even the bugs, like the crickets and all that, seem a little more muted during that time. It is a very odd time regardless of, of the reasons. I, I've always been freaked out by that time of night. Yep. It's a weird one. 2 a.m. has already come and gone, which is, just, you know, traditionally bar closes. Yeah. So everybody from the bar is now arrested and being processed for DUIs. And <laughs> um, bugs have to sleep, right? So they sleep. And also, I think uh, meteorologically, it's the coldest 
during those hours too, or, or, or the temperature has done its sw- most swift decline. I heard on, uh, you know, the show Survivor Man, mm-hmm. it used to be a show with Les Stroud as a survivalist show. He was we're somewhere up in the Arctic, Arctic, I believe, and it was around that time, 2.30 morning. He was standing there and he goes, it's so quiet and so odd out here that I swear I can hear the earth spinning on its axis. Wow. That's quiet. <laughs> yeah. That's quiet. Also creepy as hell. But Yeah, it is. Well, this one will creep you out too, mm-hmm. to a certain degree. All right, 63. No, not 63. I just had a dyslexic moment. (laughs) 36-year-old Wesley Swigart and his wife, 30-year-old Stephanie, were in an argument at 3.32 a.m. She had been enduring another round of unsubstantiated suspicion that uh, there had been infidelity in their marriage. He had physically abused Stephanie that night during their argument and had demanded that she go to the bedroom out of his sight. Otherwise, he was going to stab her with a knife that he had brandished during the argument. Shortly thereafter, this call was placed to 911. Are you ready for me to hit play? I am. I could go on about, uh, you know, insecure men who are in a power position over their women uh, claiming that there's infidelity issues. Usually they're the ones who are cheating on them, but it's like always like a, that seems to be a cudgel, like a, a main thing in those relationships. And they won't be, they won't be, but it's like, they always use that. They do. <sighs> it's an itch that they can't scratch. It's an there's insecurity. There's nothing you can say to somebody who is making up a myth that you're cheating on them. There's nothing you can say to, to, to resolve it. Typically these rounds of arguments just go until both sides are worn out or like in this case, there's physical Mm -hmm. abuse that takes place. All right. All right. Ready. Here we go. I 
Okay. I'm scared. I don't know. I, I didn't shot. I don't know. Okay. All right. We're getting up there, okay? Okay. Okay. You're sitting on the couch? I am. Okay. I'm sorry. Honey, we'll take care of things. We'll figure out what's going on when we get there, okay? Can we okay? pause for a second to listen to that? I need you to stay calm. I'm calm. Okay, I really want to call my mom. Okay, well, we can't do any of that until I get here. I got a scooter right out here. Okay, we can pause for a sec. Okay, you said he's in the bedroom? Yeah, he's in the closet in the bedroom. We had a walk-in closet. Sometimes, like, I like to put myself there and, and just kind of soak in the environment and figure out, like, what would, how would that feel? What would that be? And one person I, could you imagine being the friend of the guy that was walking up to the door <laughs> right there at the end? I, like, made, I don't know how you just made me laugh after that call, but yeah. Shoot. You know, like, hey, is Wesley here? Uh... <laughs> I gotta go with the cops. You got I mean, Kim, and you're well, like, what? Can you it's imagine not- for the for the operator there for a moment thinking like, oh my god, is this guy as abusive as his friend is, and he's going to take some retribution on her in this moment? Right? What are we dealing with? Right. Yeah. Well, and opening the door, being her, and seeing a friend, and we're you know we're building a, a, a fake <laughs> scenario, but I mean, a friend of his might be privy to the fact that he's been an abuser, you know? Yeah, and okay with it. And at three something in the morning, his friend shows up. That seems like... Maybe not the best people we're dealing with here. Yeah, maybe not. I want to share something quick before we get into more of what happened there. Um, Just because I was at a loss or didn't want to sidetrack us too much before hearing the call because I've been doing that quite often lately. 
Um, but here's an answer to like some of the reasons why some an abuser might accuse you if you're being abused by somebody of cheating on them. Here's two two reasons, possible reasons why he might be toxically insecure and externalizing that internal core belief to you and your behavior. Like it's inevitable mm-hmm. that she's going to cheat on me because they're so insecure just in general, or yes. um, they might be projecting their own bad behavior onto you, you know, like um, they're doing it. Mm. She must be doing it too. You know, I see those are two. Well, and, and I think that definitely that second one, um, I think that's probably very common is, uh, somebody, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, um, if you hear, if you hear Samuel L. Jackson use the F word, yeah, it seems like it's supposed to happen. Or right. if Kent says it, right? Sure. Yeah. It just seems like it's supposed, to, like it's part of them. But if you hear, you know, if you heard like Haley Joel Osment use the F word, or, <laughs> it doesn't I don't come know, out right. you know, yeah, like <laughs> Dora the Explorer, it would be like, you'd be like, Ugh! you know, and I think that's what, what's happening in, in, the, in the abusive person's mind who's also cheating is they're like, it feels very normal to them to do it, but I couldn't, they can't even fathom that so-and-so would do it. Right, right, right. Here's one more, and I, I think this one rings very true to me for, for most uh, that I've met in my life that behave this way. He might be a sadist or, or, a, or just a predator who's trying to break you down psychologically for his or her own gratification. They, they're uh, turned on by it by they, or, or they just enjoy uh, the, the, the adrenaline and, and, and just the, 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 the position of power on somebody accusing them of something like that. It just, it riles, it gets, it gets them off in some way. But anyway, I anyways, do remember, I remember I was engaged to a girl and I always, I said after a long time after, for a long time after the, we broke the engagement off that, uh, I would just kind of sum her up as she was more comfortable in a fight mm-hmm. than in, you know, peacetime. Right. And I, I, I believe that. I, I think there are people like that. Oh, I know there are. Yeah. Um, with this call, before you get into all the, all that happened there, didn't it feel like it was amazing to hear her immediately after it happened? She called right away. There's almost like this elation that's, that she can't help, right? Because there would be. Mm. It's like, I just did that. Like, I just freed myself of that. I stood up for myself. He's gone yeah. now. I was being attacked right there. I was going to be put in a position where she was possibly going to be raped or whatever it was, this power move. He was trying to force her into the bedroom. And I escaped that. And now I don't have to deal with that anymore. And then as the call goes on, it was very interesting to hear her like come to terms with, oh my God, I'm yeah. going to go to jail. Like, you know? Yeah. What just happened? The the din of a quiet house knowing that there's a, a dead body in the other room too. And Especially we- somebody, you know, that you spent that much time with. <laughs> well, yes, that's sure. Fine. But there, there was all this chaos. And now again, yes. there, there's that. Din. You're right. You're right. I think I was I, okay. I'll come that down was, to that. Your, was weird. Was, what you were starting to do? I was sort of at the sixty thousand foot view level, looking at it like as a marriage. And okay, you're right. You're, you're right. There was more immediate emotions probably than where I landed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're, you're right. You're she right. lost a loved yeah. one. That's where you're headed with. <laughs> I don't so, know if that's quite it, but you know, we're well, we're, we're spitballing here. <laughs> All right. Well, as you can hear on that call. Um, Stephanie Swigart was extremely distraught over what had escalated to be the death of her husband. Motives and true intentions are difficult to translate when listening to a call like this, but she sincerely seemed to be disoriented by the events. To your point of just as the call went on, you heard her kind of the exclamation she was making, like it was setting in more and more. Right. You know, and although the bottom seemingly had just fallen out of her life, her reflex uh, to run was overpowered by what she felt was the right thing to do by calling 911, as you heard her say. You know, mm-hmm. she was going to leave, and then she didn't, and she called 911. Yeah. So there's photos of her that were taken after the event of her bleeding neck and battered face that I think support the nightmare that she had been going through that night leading up to the call. 
After he had physically assaulted her and threatened to stab her with a knife, Stephanie had taken a hold of her handgun, which she had received as a gift, and sat in her room as commanded. Hmm. When her husband entered the room, she claimed her life was threatened and she shot him. He died from the gunshot wounds after stumbling to the ground in the closet of the bedroom. They had met six years prior, but had only been married a few years when this took place. As you can hear at the end of the call, Stephanie's taken into custody by the arriving officers without any incident. There's that little hiccup with the friend. (laughs) That's awkward. Yeah. But um, her first court appearance was the following Monday. So give it a weekend and then she's in court. Uh, Monday, February 10th, and a $250,000 bond was set and she is charged at that time with the murder of her husband. Thursday rolls around, February 13th, and family and friends put together the 10% of the 250,000 needed to bond her out. The next day, a grand jury was assembled. Now, grand juries are kind of interesting. Grand juries are generally called on to decide whether there's probable cause to bring criminal charges against an individual. And typically, in cases uh, which may result in serious uh, felony charges like this would have caused. Mm-hmm. Uh, although all states have uh, some law allowing for grand juries, not all the states make use of grand juries. I, I was kind of light on information on what a grand jury was until until this call. Right. I've heard it a billion times, but... Can I ask it's you a question? It's basically a preliminary you, you might, jury. Sorry, this is gonna. I, I don't. Uh, it's gonna make me seem super ignorant, but because I am. When you post bond like that, like the twenty five thousand dollars needed to bond her out there, if do they get the money back? No. Ever like even if she's found to be you know self defense and all that kind of stuff, that money just goes away no matter what. Can you get your bail? money back if it is cash bail and you pay the full bail amount the money will be returned to you if the defendant shows up on all the hearing dates okay uh okay doesn't you won't get your money back yeah i wonder about that too like does bail money bond money does it go in escrow until like a a trial is finished i i don't really know well it sounds like there as long as she was true to all of her responsibilities that mm. she, uh, you know, had had to show up for and all that kind of stuff when it comes to court. Then, they, then they get the the money back. I wonder if 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 it all ended in a guilty plea or a, what or would happen? Her then? guilt, yeah. a conviction. Somebody yeah, out there I, knows. We're going to hear about it. Yeah, it would seem counterintuitive a bit where friends and family put together the money. She's guilty, <laughs> and then they. Either she or they are rewarded with the money. What I, I, what I, I assume is that, hey, we're putting up this $25,000. We're going to make sure that she she shows up for all this stuff. We're going to take this, mm. this chance. We're going to invest in her because we believe in her. And then if she kind of like runs away or just doesn't show up for court, then you lose that money. But if she goes through all the necessary steps, then you get that return, yes. that investment back, I would hope. Yes, I would think so. In Yeah, I, I think the only stipulation I would throw in there and I'm talking out of my hat, but would be in, you know, whether or not the guilt or innocence was ultimately discovered. All right. Uh, That probably plays in there somewhere. We don't know for sure though. Boy, boy, do we sound ignorant on our own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I love asking questions that definitely make us look stupid. (laughs) That one definitely does. I can't remember. Oh, never mind. All I have to do is go back to my inbox and I'll find other ones where people (laughs) said we're definitely stupid. It's easy to find. Oh, man. Well, um, in this case, the grand jury failed to indict after hearing the details of the investigation and finding it was self-defense and she was released. Hmm. The details about it are unclear because the grand jury proceedings are sealed. And I don't know if that's a state-by-state thing as well, where grand jury proceedings are sealed. But in this case, that was the the case. And and she also hasn't spoken out publicly with any details. She's declined to to retell much of the incident. 
Mm. Um, her concern is obviously that going back to those events of that night would make it harder for her family and uh, her community to heal. Huh. But as like other fights that she described between the two of them, there were always there were more than one allegations of infidelity mm-hmm. that instigated the the arguments in in their the, that took place. That that is not affirming or in inferring that there was infidelity, but it was a it was a bone of contention. Well, even if, even if it was true, it doesn't uh, justify him abusing her either way. No. Yeah. Um, I I got to say that just <laughs> just hearing the call, not knowing an, a lot about it, and outside of the stuff that you've already filled us in on, right away I believed her. Yeah. Oh, I did too. I did. Too. Yeah. And I was, I was listening. I, I tried to have my suspect ears, you know, suspicious ears on the whole time. And even, even when the dispatcher said you killed him and she said, I did. Yeah. Uh, it didn't, it did. It felt very, you know, very honest. It did. Very, uh, it did. very, very, very open and, and, uh, well, because there, there are a lot of self-defense cases where you can tell this, like, oh, they're grasping at that. Like, they're going to grab for that because it's one, it's a way out, right? Yeah. And this happens yep. so quickly. Clearly, she's she's talking to them immediately after it happened. There's, you can tell a lot from the way that they're speaking and the way they're behaving in that moment. And I felt like it was all very honest. And so did you, it sounds like. Yep. Well, and in this case, in her own words, she says it was a severe escalation over previous fights that they had had. And it was really unlike anything that she'd ever experienced before. And it felt like an absolute inter- eternity. I bet. Um, I bet. So in February of 2018, Stephanie had called the sheriff's office. This is previous to this. And asked to speak with the deputy about her husband. Said he was threatening to come home and destroy their residence. Uh, I couldn't find any prior arrests showing any previous domestic violence charges that had been made. And only one, this one, this previous 911 call from 2018, where he was threatening to damage their home, uh, Stephanie stated that he's very aggressive and will snap and just start destroying things. It's interesting that we wouldn't have more of a paper trail on a guy like that, but... uh, Mm -hmm. She actually said that that was the reason that they moved from their last, their previous home was because Wesley had caused so much damage inside the house. Right. Also, if you look at this guy, uh, it's <laughs> kind of hard for me to wrap my head around this guy being super violent. Okay. Like he just, he seems very soft. Okay. He, he seems like if you, um, if you hooked a guy up to an IV of Mountain Dew and let him play Call of Duty for 10 years, that's what this guy looks like. Right. Just really, you know, but hey, he apparently knew how to throw his weight around. Right, right. Well, a guy like that might be super insecure too, right? I think so. Well, and, you know, we were talking, we, we've, you know, we've been talking about this and we've talked about it before. It's such a, a conundrum. these catch 22s that are domestic violence situations check out what she said uh after the incident uh she said quote i loved i loved him so much so this is just something that is difficult to even say because i don't want people to think that i didn't care because i do i always will (sighs) and you know just that's very telling I, too. That that props right? up my belief that she was being very honest with this whole thing as well. Yes. That's a very honest statement. You could tell she didn't need to say that she meant to. No, she didn't. And, and I, I think it's almost there. They'll never, most abusers are absolutely reluctant to face the number of ripples that they cause mm-hmm. with their actions. It's man, this is a hard one. Uh, he had Hard. to face one. He had to face the ripple of that uh, bullet going across the room. And where did he get shot? Was it in the chest? You said, or you know, I don't know. Oh, okay, I, I don't know. Fatal though. Do you know it was? If it was one shot, I don't. Okay, I don't. Either way, it was enough. I would guess. But, I mean, and this is—I'm totally making this up. 
cool. But if if it, it the the actions that would line up with how everything else went is she shot until she felt the threat was not there. Right. And that could be several. That could be one. Yeah. You know, maybe she did it and instantly was like, "Oh my gosh," cuz he just crumpled to the ground. Mhm. You know, I could also see other scenarios where the 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 adrenaline is so much that they just keep pulling the trigger. Sure, we've seen those before. So I don't know. I don't know. But that's another thing about domestic abuse is it just man, it makes makes the situation really bad. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that was I, deep, bro. I like I got to put that one in the book. That was <laughs> really really. Did Jordan good. Peterson say that? <laughs> Oh man, how about right. uh, how about a happy ending? Sure, we could use it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fine. Um, <clears throat> uh, hey, Luna. Hey. Hey. Do you know what a ham is? Uh. Yeah. 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 I think everybody does. Yeah. Well, we know that you can call nine one one to reach nine one one, but in this call, we have some extra creative individuals who get shot and then he reaches out to a ham for help okay i'm gonna tell you about this one and then i'm gonna play the call because right. i think the details to uh, having the information ahead of hearing the call is pretty cool so on monday september 25th uh of a year <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i don't see a year there either i don't either Ugh. Missing information. So we know that it happened, though. So 40-year-old Rory Clark, uh, ID number KD6RKL of Citrus Heights, a Sacramento suburb, was shot once with a rifle from behind while standing at a bank's automatic teller machine, or ATM. Using his handheld receiver, he Uh called for help on a local repeater. The repeater owner and operator, Chris Huber, ID N6ICW, was listening and auto-patched the call to 911. <laughs> Do you have any idea what I'm saying? You're talking about a ham radio is what I was yes, saying now, right? exactly. So this guy had a handheld transceiver on him. And... Uh, it sounds like one just went off in your, in your studio. Do you got have a ham radio in there? <laughs> I've got a phone call coming. Oh, and I, okay. I tried to mute it quickly. Well, what's funny is I have, if you've never seen this app, it's pretty cool. I don't know if you get spam calls very often or spam text messages. I have an app called RoboKiller. Mm-hmm. Boy, it does such a good job. Um, and it'll even, it'll even qualify the calls that are legit and then they'll ask the person to say who they are and then it shows up on my screen but for some reason even though my phone is muted it still rings through it's kind of weird anyway back to this (laughs) that wasn't an ad by the way (laughs) Uh, Uh, back to this so huber helped Clark in passing information to the 911 operator about his location, his condition, and suspects. Uh, this assistance and the ability to contact a listening ham operator on the spot <laughs> saved Rory's life, in the words of local authorities. This was a fun sentence to write, too. More hams rushed to his and his family's assistance and, continu- and continued to be of support. Among them was Jim Rossima, IDKT, KD6SSW, <laughs> who took Clark's family to the hospital after the incident. Oh, so by mid October, Rory Clark was walking with a walker and recovery is, was said to be going relatively fast. So this. Well, dude, I think that I can answer the question of what year this happened. Oh, you can? Uh, at least the era, like sometime between 1932 and 1950. <laughs> We're dealing with guys. <laughs> communicating with ham radios. You know what? It, it is actually here. Here's something. When you drive around, if you, if you see a tall antenna sticking up in somebody's yard, right. that guy has a ham radio. Wow. What a weird yeah. group. That's pretty cool though. I mean, I've never been into it, but an interesting group, a tight knit group by the sounds of things, they jumped all over this. 
Yeah, and interesting about ham radio operators is uh, similar to, I don't know if you knew this, but when you fly planes as a, as a pilot, uh, if you or I were to get our pilot's license, you 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 go through a basic amount of training, obviously, but then you are licensed uh, to fly certain plane types, certain planes. Uh, so just because you can fly a Cessna doesn't mean they'll let you in a Lockheed, uh, you know, jet. <laughs> right, right. Um, similar to that, in ham radio operation, uh, you develop your ability through qualifications to reach further and further out in frequency. So when you first start with ham radio operation, your, your, your license gives you only the ability to reach out to a certain distance. And as you gain qualifications, you can reach out further, um, literally around the world. Huh? Well, here's something. Man, you're something. <laughs> so I can tell you're coming up with that right out of your memory bank. <laughs> I, I was trying for the longest time there to figure out some kind of joke, but you were trying to get rid of spam over time. I'm like, a ham radio call. It's just not, you're like, I got a real problem with spam. <laughs> <laughs> nope, it's, it's legit. It's yeah. legit. All right. Uh, also, know, you should know who your ham radio operators around you are because when the world starts falling apart, the internet won't work, phones won't work, cell phone towers, ham radios, they're a pretty, pretty hardy bunch. Those radios are hard to take out in mass. So they'll yeah. still be kicking. Those guys are all I, preppers. I'm certain yep. of it too. Just have to find their bunkers. That's, yeah, that's all. Right. Bunkers full of spam. Yeah. Well, I feel like we already experienced the call, but we haven't even listened to it oh. yet. So would you like me to press play? Yeah, please. All right. Here we go. 911 emergency. Yes, I'd like to reporting a shooting incident that I'm picking up over a ham radio out at the Sunrise Mall around the American Savings Bank. I've, I've got the gentleman on the radio. He claims that he's been shot twice. I do know the individual, so he should be valid as far as his report. Okay. Uh, is it the Sunrise Mall at the American Savings Bank? Yes. Okay, what's your name, sir? My name is Chris Huber, H-U-B-E-R. This gentleman's first name is Rory. I can call him on the radio and get a last name. Okay, is he, do you know what his description is? He's a slender black man, walks with a cane. Probably, How old is he, do you know? Probably in his mid-30s. Mid-30s, what color hair does he have? Black hair or bald-headed? A probably short-cropped hair. Short-cropped hair? Yes. Okay, and uh, how tall and how much does he weigh? Yeah, I suspect he's probably 5'10", 5'11". 5'10". He's a real thin guy? Yeah. And he walks with a cane, huh? Yeah. You don't have any clothing description on him, do you? Oh, let me ask him. Hello, Rory. I got the Sheriff's Department on the radio. They would like a description of what clothing you're wearing. Brown pants. Brown pants. Black leather shoes. Black leather shoes. Sweater. Sweater. White and gray in color. White and gray in color. Okay. Do you want to ask him where he's been shot? Yeah, and I want to know uh, what the bad guys look like and where they're at. Uh, they want to know where you've been shot, and then we're going to get a description of who did it. Okay, what was the... Two white males. Two Exactly where he's at right now. And can you get his? Do you remember what his clothing was? He said he said a gray shirt. Yeah, uh, had a sweater on, brown pants, black uh, leather shoes. Okay, gray sweater, brown pants. Yeah. Okay. Are you, you? Which side of the bank are you on? Are you on the side of the bank facing uh, the uh, Sunrise Boulevard? No. He's around the ATM machine at the back. Near the ATM machine? At the American Savings. I'm not familiar enough with the area. 
Okay, does he know which way the uh, bad guys went? Do you know which direction the bad guys went? Yes, opposite of me. That would be towards my bank as I am facing the ATM machine. Okay, they're on foot towards which, which way? They're on foot. Do you know which direction they went? Can you go north, south, east, or west, or towards another building that you can name? Paper tree, Hallmark, Hallmark store. Hallmark store. Okay, what I want you to do is kind of keep him on the uh, the radio in that. Okay. Yeah. Ask him if he gets, has any other descriptions of the guy if they tried to rob him at the ATM. Did they uh, try to rob you, Rory? Roger. They were asking for money, and I was only going for an account balance. Okay, I have the dispatcher on the phone, and he's taking all this information as you were saying it, so just a second. Okay, I'm, I'm still with you right now. Okay. Okay, can you give me an update on the descriptions? Did you have any more of a description on these uh, two white males that you can give us? flying over him at the moment, he says. Okay. Okay, hang in there, Rory. Yeah, just try and keep him talking while he's talking. talking. Are you sitting down or laying down? What are you doing at the moment? I'm laying down now. Are there any other people around trying to help at the moment? Just let him know the helicopter should be flying overhead and he can spot him. The officers are on the way right now. Is that one of your helicopters? Yeah. Uh, the, the dispatcher indicates that's one of their helicopters flying overhead right now, Rory. Tell them, tell them, we, we spotted them lying on the ground. We already spotted them. They've already spotted you lying on the ground, Rory, so they're trying to get a patrol unit right to you now. Did, did they get any money from him at all? Did he, he said he was just doing a, uh, an account balance check. Did they get any money from you at all? Negative. I was only trying to get a balance of my account. Did they rob you of anything? Negative. Yeah, tell me the officer's going to be right there. Okay, the dispatcher indicates that an officer should be right there. Roger, I see him now. Okay, well, let me know when he walks up, and I'll let him take over from there, and uh, good luck. Good luck. I'll talk to you later, and um, I hope uh, things go well for you and for All right. Okay. Isn't it funny that these ham operators, they all seem to speak in Morse code? Like, <laughs> like the, with that, <laughs> like, dun, 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 dun. Like, there's no fat, right? Yeah. Very efficient. Yeah. I don't know that I could ever be a ham operator. Oh, no. I, oh, here's another fun fact to know and share about ham radio operations. You are a ham operator, though. <laughs> if you get too chatty on a ham radio, uh, this, the uh, the tower will just cut you off. Like, <laughs> it's funny. Like, like uh, you can't you can't filibuster on a ham radio. That's funny. It'll it'll just beep boop. Uh, maybe that. Maybe you get more. I don't know this for a fact, but maybe you get to be lot more long-winded the more qualifications you have but i don't know that for a fact maybe so you're filling up the air with too much mumbo jumbo like you're you're taking up too much space right yeah 
Yeah, you're talking too much. The the tower just beep boop you right out of. <laughs> you know that from experience, it sounds like. <laughs> I only know about it because a guy showed up to my house and he had a ham radio transceiver in his car and he was telling me about it. So You know what your nickname would be if you were like doing stuff on the ham radios? The operator? The ham operator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to try to secure that one. Although yeah. it looks like, based on this, that my nickname will probably be KD6RK1244-7. So I don't know if I have much control over that. There's no human beings in the world of ham operators. There aren't. Just no. big, long Just communicators. Sequences. Yep. Communicators. Well, that's all I got. Uh, you know, food for thought about domestic violence and... Uh, if you ever don't have a phone and you have to call 911, get your ham radio instead. Yeah. And that sounded like a more recent call than I would have ever thought it was because 911 was involved. They didn't have that back in the 50s. I mean, just no, a bunch I- of weird dudes. <laughs> and it worked out for once ham, for them. Ham radio is actually bigger than it's ever been. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> but, is uh, it really? Yeah. I bet it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. Huh. Crazy. Anyway. All right. Hugs, everybody. Well, Bean Bean wasn't available right now to do the outro, so I figured I'd do it for once. Hey, thank you so much for listening again to one of our weird episodes and putting it in your earballs and hopefully enjoying it. If you like what you're hearing on 911 Calls Podcast with the Operator, you might just like 911 Calls Plus because it's exactly the same, but it's a whole extra episode that we do every single week now only on Patreon so if you head over to Patreon you'll get 911 Calls Plus every week 911 Calls Podcast with the Operator full and uncut which is typically an hour or more extra content of brilliant jibber jabber between me and Mr. Luna and then also 911 Dark Calls, which we do once a month. The episodes are dark calls, full and uncut. Again, only on Patreon. So if you like what you heard, there's a whole lot more waiting for you. Bugs. <laughs>